0: Well, my dear brothers and sisters, in our readings for today from the 2nd of Samuel 7, we've read that whilst David dwelt in a house of cedar, the ark of God was only housed within curtains. Well, this situation seemed incongruous. And as a faithful man of God, David... Felt this keenly. Way back in the days of Joshua, the tabernacle housing the ark had been set up in Shiloh, north of Jerusalem, in the hill country of Ephraim. And later, in the days of Eli at Shiloh, there had been some sort of temple for the ark. That was where the child Samuel ministered to the Lord and laid down to sleep near the ark. The Lord called him, and he responded, as prompted by Eli, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. What happened at Shiloh, eventually we don't know, but it wasn't good, for we read in Jeremiah, But go ye now unto my place which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. That, by the way. Back now to David. So it was that David decided to create a house for the ark of God. Yesterday, from the 2nd of Samuel 6 we read about the Ark of God being brought into the city of David. Previous to this, it was not even located within Jerusalem at all. The earlier movements of the Ark were not uneventful. And there are some things about the history of the Ark in the period covered by the books of Samuel that we feel are worth reviewing There are some useful, but rather sober lessons to be reminded of. So this morning, let's have a look back at what happened to the ark from the days of Eli onwards. As we have said, in the days of Eli, the ark of the covenant of God was at Shiloh. But in a battle with the Philistines that was going badly... The Israelites foolishly and superstitiously thought that the presence of the ark on the battlefield would subdue the Philistines before them. Of course we know this turned to disaster. The ark was captured by the Philistines. Eli's wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas, lost their lives and a great number of his light soldiers were slain. On news of all this, and specifically the capture of the Ark of God, the elderly and overweight Eli fell backwards from his seat, and his neck broke and he died. Then his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, died in childbirth, and their son was born an orphan and was named Ichabod. Meaning, the glory had departed from Israel, for the ark of God had been captured. But the Philistines suffered because of the presence of the ark among them. All the while, it was in their possession. Their god Dagon was kept in the house of Dagon, presumably some sort of building, And the ark of God was placed beside Dagon. But the next morning, Dagon had fallen down on his face before the ark. So the Philistines re-erected him. However, the following morning, having failed to learn the lesson that we must remember, that is, that we cannot treat the things of the Lord with disrespect or indifference. They find Dagon again on his face before the ark, but this time his hands and his head had been cut off. Additionally, we find that these people of Ashdod were afflicted by the Lord. We read, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumours. So the men of Ashdod came to see the connection between what was happening to them and their possession of the ark. So they take the ark of God to Gath. But of Gath, we read, the hand of the Lord was against that city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, with tumours. So they sent the ark on to Ekron. But the hand of God was heavy there also. Those who did not die were struck with tumours. We read the Ark Let it go again to his own place, that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city, the hand of God was very heavy there. And the men that died not were smitten with emeralds, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. After seven months, the Philistines had had enough, so they made elaborate arrangements for the ark to be returned to Israel. They sent it back on a cart pulled by two milch kine, as the AV to our ears rather quaintly puts it. Who these days has ever heard of milch kine? Today we would say two cows. However, the ark is returned and arrives at Beth Shemesh. But all is not good, because the men of Beth Shemesh don't have the necessary reverence for the things of the Lord, for they ignorantly take it upon themselves to look into the ark with disastrous consequences. We read, And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemosh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck seventy men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemosh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kerjath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. So it was that the ark was collected by the men of Kerjath-Jeirim, and it stayed with them for twenty years. We read, And the men of Kerjath-Jeirim came, and fetched up the ark of the Lord, and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode at Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Well, the ark seems to have been set aside during the days when Saul was king, for we read in the first of Chronicles concerning the ark, For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. But when David became king, the decision was made to move the ark from Kirjath-Jerim to Jerusalem. Alas, contrary to what Moses wrote, by the Spirit of God, of course, they provided a cart for the transportation of the ark. But we are all familiar with the story, of course, When they got to the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah put forth his hand to steady the ark, and was struck down by God and died. So, why did so many things go wrong for so many people? The ark, the symbol of Jesus, that should have been good for all. Yet it became associated with illness, death and destruction. It was captured by the Philistines. The Israelite army was defeated. Eli, his two sons and his daughter-in-law, perished. Dagon was broken up. Not that that was a problem. The people of Ashdod were terrified and afflicted with tumours. When the ark was moved to Gath, the same thing happened. Then to Ekron, again, the same thing, only worse. Then when it was returned to Israel, seventy of the men of Beth Shemesh died because they looked inside. Then we have the death of Uzzah for steadying the ark as the oxen stumbled. So what should have been a blessing turned out to be anything but. What was wrong? Why did all these things go wrong for so many in those days? If we have disasters of various kinds today, whether natural, say earthquakes, floods or tsunamis, or directly man-made disasters like Grenfell Tower or a rail or aeroplane crash, teams of men are employed to forensically investigate to the minutest detail the causes. They might spend thousands of man-hours on it, years on it. The Philistines in those days had their experts, and they at least realised that the Ark was causing their problems. But they were really fumbling in the dark concerning the Ark of God. They had some idea of the power and majesty of God, When they had heard that the Ark of God was in the Israelite camp, they said, Woe to us! Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. They seemed to view the Ark itself as as a god or some sort of magic charm or trophy. Totally at variance with the true facts, of course, But they were Philistines, so they didn't really know. The Israelites should have known much better. They failed to have reverence or respect. They treated the things of God as a curiosity or with indifference. They failed to perceive the sanctity, the holiness of the things of God. God says in Isaiah 57, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Or again he says, even to this man will I look, to him that is humble and of a contrite spirit, and, crucially, that trem- trembleth at my word. This they had all completely failed to recognise. They had disregarded God's holiness and his word. And this is where we can learn a valuable lesson. Although all this may have happened under the law of Moses, it is not irrelevant. The principles underlying the things of God are, have not changed. After all, the law was a schoolmaster to teach us many things. It's a sober lesson indeed, but let us be reminded how we should approach the things of God. We are to love the Lord with all our heart, our soul, our mind and strength. This means that we put the things of God first, before other things. We need to give them the first place in our lives. We need to treat them with respect, reverence, even awe, perhaps. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to do things the way we always have, but we do have to ensure that whatever we do, we follow Scriptural principles. These may not always be easy to determine, but we have to make that effort. In the case of the death of Uzzah, they had failed rightly to divide the word. It was necessary to discriminate carefully. The ark should never have been carried on a wagon. It is true that wagons and oxen were supplied for the transportation of other parts of the tabernacle. Two wagons and four oxen were supplied to the sons of Gershom for the carriage of the tabernacle things that they were responsible for, and four wagons and eight oxen for the sons of Merari for the parts that they were responsible for. But to the sons of Kohath, he gave no wagons or oxen, for their items, including the ark, had to be carried by man only. And when these things were done specifically in accordance with God's word, things turned out completely differently. After the death of Uzzah, the ark was taken to the house of Obed-Edom. It was left there three months during which time the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Then it was moved to Jerusalem, but this time in accordance with scriptural principles. we read in the first of Chronicles chapter 15. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the Ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of Israel, sorry, the children of the Levites bear the Ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded, according to the word of the Lord. So there we have it, the Ark of God in Jerusalem. Then David, in accordance with his love for God, feels that the Ark of God, with all that it represents, should have a better place. So he decides to build a temple. But he, wisely, checks first with Nathan the prophet. He doesn't just do what he thinks, off his own back, as previously with the Ark. So let us be reminded of this lesson also. To bring to all our projects, bring all our projects to the Lord in prayer before we undertake them. Nathan's response to David is, go, do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. But later, as we know, this advice is rescinded because it was for Solomon, a man of peace, to build the temple. But let us not forget we are also involved in building a temple, the Ecclesia. Individually and collectively, we are a temple. Let us show the same fervour and enthusiasm that David had for God's house. And Christ, the anti-typical ark, will be amongst us. We need to display, as an Ecclesia and as individuals, the characteristics of our Saviour. So let us build one another up in love, Christ being the chief cornerstone. At present, on the site of Solomon's or David's temple, stands the Dome of the Rock, or as we understand it, the Abomination of Desolation. But soon Daniel's 1335 days will come to an end. Christ will be back and a new temple erected on the site. May that day soon be upon us when the image falls and man's kingdoms swept aside and a new age dawns. So let us now remember in the bread and wine the price paid for the hope that we have the sacrifice of our Lord, who gave his life in suffering for our sins.